text is found in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation, your way of living, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Everyone who is saved has the glorious assurance of living with Christ throughout all of eternity. But we also have the, the present assurance and enjoyment of His presence, His continual presence with us every moment, day by day. For He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Note who is speaking here. The He here is our Lord speaking to us. It is to guarantee us of His own presence. It is to gar a guarantee to every believer, no matter how feeble your faith may be, no matter how where you are in your spiritual walk with the Lord, it is a guarantee to every believer. But notice, as all the promises of God are, that it is a promise set within the context of a precept. We will consider first the promise, the glorious promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And then secondly, the precept or the teaching that we must follow. So our teaching will follow along two lines tonight, very simple. You'll not have trouble keeping up. The promise and the precept. Can you say that with me? The promise and the precept. And I think we'll be able to understand that. First of all, the promise. This is a recurring promise throughout the scriptures. It's one of those promises that is woven from Genesis to Revelation. And we see it made to the from the Lord to his children over and over and over again. It's one of those great I will promises. Oh, it has all the force of the triune Godhead behind it. I will. Notice that determination that God is saying here. I will do it. It's not dependent on the angelic host or your faithfulness to him or how you feel about his presence. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There are many great I will statements in the scripture. It'd be a wonderful Bible study for you to trace them. Just get a concordance and trace the I wills of Jehovah. He says in Isaiah 42 verse 8, My glory will I not give to another. What a statement. I will not give my glory to another. We dare not touch or impugn or rob God, as we've heard quoted today, in any way of his glory. He alone is glorious, holy, and set apart. How could the creature impugn and venture to rob anything that belongs to the Lord? He will not give his glory to another. In Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church. What a precious and encouraging determinate statement in these days of darkness when the Lord's church looks anything but like his pride, what his promise, what his principle, what his blueprint is for us in the scripture and yet he says i will build my church and if he says he will do something we can rest content that he is doing what he says he will do in john 14 verse 3 i will come again oh what a glorious promise it is we the church it is the blessed hope of the church the bride of christ that he will come for us he has washed our robes and made them white he has clothed us in his own righteousness he is readying us for that great marriage supper, that great ceremony on high. I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
I will not leave you comfortless. The disciples were wondering, if you're leaving us, why would you leave us? How can you leave us here? They could not understand that that disconnect between the Lord's physical presence and him saying, I won't leave you. He says, I'm going to do something new that you have not fully understand until now. The Holy Spirit was not new, but the abiding, continual, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit was something the Old Testament believer did not know. And so we hear uh, prayers such as David prayed in that great uh, prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 where he prays, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, the presence of the intimacy of knowing that your Spirit is with me. Something no New Testament believer would ever pray because it is impossible for the Lord to take his presence from us when he is indwelling us. What a glorious truth that is. It's a very precious thing to us. We see a very sad picture in the Old Testament. Remember when the, the judge, Samson, was judge, and when he was in the latter part of his life, the Holy Spirit records for us he did not know, he wist not that the Spirit of God was taken from him. He just presumed that whenever he did his thing, that God would come upon him in the power of the Holy Spirit, he'd be able to deliver, to slay, whatever it was, that the work at hand. And so he had so sinned, and remained in that unrepentant state where the Lord had to deal with Samson. He took him home, did he? he? He judged him by death. But the scripture tells us he wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Romans 9 verse 15, another great I will statement couched within that grand portion of scripture on the election of God where he declares in verse 15 of Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The sovereignty of God in showing his mercy to repentant sinners. Throughout the scripture we notice, Genesis 28 verse 15, he promised to Jacob, I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken thee of. The Lord said, I'll not leave you until I'm finished doing what I said I would do. That's a very comforting thing for not only Jacob, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has made those pledges to us. I will perfect that which concerned you. I will finish that good thing that I've started within you. To Moses, he promised in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. To Joshua, he reiterates to this promise as the Joshua led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. In Joshua 1 verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. What a promise. No one will be able to come against you militarily. As I was with Moses, and don't you know that Joshua wondered if he would be, even though he knew the Lord? There had to be that part of Joshua. Oh boy, you know, here I am taking Moses' place. Everybody knows that God was with Moses in undeniable ways. And God so graciously and tenderly says, Joshua, don't worry, as just as I was with Moses, I so I will be with thee, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Do you see that recurring theme in our text throughout the scripture? What a glorious text it is. What a glorious doctrine this is, the continual presence of our Savior. He said to his people through Isaiah, in Isaiah 41 verse 10, 43 verse 2, Fear not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. 
I will uphold thee with my right hand of righteousness. And when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. What promises from God himself. Our Lord promised it himself as he was leaving on a a clear, unwavering declaration in Matthew 28, verse 20. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Isaiah 41, verse 7, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. We see in, uh, in not only there, but in First Chronicles 28, verse 20, to David saying to Solomon, his son, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my my God will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Don't you know when Solomon ventured on that great building project to build a house for God that he wondered, will I finish it? Will I live long enough? What will it be? Will I have the backing of the Lord? I have the backing of my father and all the resources gathered to do it. But will the Lord truly be with me? And he said, oh yes, he will. And Joshua, we read that where he said, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. We see this reiterated again and again in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, to the children of Israel, be not big, strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. In Genesis 28 to Jacob, we read that portion of Scripture. And our Lord's continual promise over and over again, he's reiterated. If he said it once, it'd be enough. We see it as a recurring theme. And down to our very text in Hebrews, the Lord has said, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a beautiful faith-building promise. Notice three things about this promise, this guarantee from the Lord. Don't you like guarantees? Earthly guarantees are always have catches in them, don't they? And and they're really, they're so full of holes that... You know, we hear about them and they sound too good to be true. And you know what I have found? Usually they are too good to be true. A money back guarantee. We hear it, don't we? But wait, there's more. And there's a guarantee that this will never break and we'll replace it the rest of your life. You know, and all these kind of things that we know buying it, that it cannot be true. But this is a guarantee by the, the creator God, the sustainer of the universe. And he stands behind his word, doesn't he? Well, notice three things about this guarantee from the Lord. First of all, it is a clear guarantee. There's no fine print here. You don't have to be a lawyer to to read it. You don't have to hire someone. Tell me what this says. I don't know what it says. I'm supposed to know what it says, but I don't know what it says. It's a very clear guarantee, isn't it? It's not hard to understand it. I can understand this. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I can understand that, can't you? A child can grasp that. The children in the the house tonight know what that means. All that is necessary in our part is to believe it and to rejoice in it, the Lord's continual presence. Just lift up your heart to the Lord right now and say, thank you, dear Lord, that no matter how I feel or what my emotions are like tonight or the circumstances of my life, you said that you, your presence would always be with me, and I thank you that you're with me right now. Now, that'll put you to bed at night. 
that will help you when you go to do a piece of work that is scary. You have to do something that you really rather not do. There are all kinds of times where this this probably I will confess to you, if I if there's any one promise that I have warned then if you could do such a thing, it would be this one. I pray it, I claim it over and over and over again, all throughout the day. Lord, you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me, and I need your help just now. It's a very clear word, isn't it? I love the clear word of God. There's no mystique about it. It's very clear. Secondly, it's a certain guarantee. Literally in the Greek, it, it reads in this way, for he himself has said. Now, isn't that interesting? That he would put it in just that way. He himself has said. In, in the statement is on record. In other words, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. It's not an apostle who's telling us this. It's not a prophet, although their word would be a good word, a word inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. But the Bible is very clear here to let us know this is not a prophet speaking or an apostle. It's not Michael or, or Gabriel. It's not someone of the angelic host. It's the Lord himself. He himself has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that means business, doesn't it? It'd be a wonderful thing for a flaming angel to guard us and guide us. I'm sure if you read in this text, in the, the curious uh, verse in verse 2, let's just read it because it's here. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, those people that you do not know. These are not just homeless people, although that would certainly could be applicable there. This is not just people that uh, are in great need. There may be anyone who's not uh, familiar to us, but we are called upon to uh, extend hospitality to. And he tells us, be not forgetful. If we're not to forget something or to remind ourselves, it's always good to do what we can in this area. To entertain, that means to help, to aid, to uh, send them on their way. And he's speaking at a time in the early church where there were no facilities. The inns were the last place you'd want to stay in these days and times. They were usually places of not good repute. The animals and the people all usually slept together. It was not anything like what we think of as an inn today. And even if there were, it was it usually had a connotation to it that most respectful people would not stay there. And so the itinerant preachers and missionaries and workers were dependent upon the people of God to, to house them and to feed them. And I'm sure that as you all have been asked to do something at some time where it was not convenient, that it might have been a, a troublesome thing from time to time. But the Holy Spirit reminds us, don't neglect when that opportunity comes your way because there, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. They didn't even know, but it was an angel that they, entered, that they showed hospitality to. Now that's an unusual verse, isn't it? We know that the angels of the Lord are ministers of His that carry out His work in various ways, and we don't fully understand their ministry but the Bible tells us to be hospitable, to use hospitality. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Now, if Gabriel knocked on your door and needed a room tonight, and I'm not trying to be facetious, you'd say, wow, my, what, a, what, a, what an opportunity here. If Gabriel told you something, you would probably listen to it. But this is not Gabriel speaking. He himself, the Lord himself has said, I will never leave thee 
or forsake thee. I will not, literally, in the Greek, it's it's put this way, I will not, I will not, I will not. It is three times enforced. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. I will not leave you in a lurch. I will not forsake, I will not leave you defenseless or without my presence. What a promise. This almost, if we were to put it in that way, supersedes almost any other promise we could think of in the Scripture, that that the Lord will not forsake us or, or leave us in our time of need. There are a lot of things that we might not be certain about. There are plenty uncertainties all around us. But here's one thing about which we can be absolutely sure. It is that the Lord himself is right now with us. I want to remind you that it's not based on how you feel about that. Some may say, I sense the nearness of the Lord. What of that? I'm glad that you may. But what if you don't? What if you don't have sense enough to feel the presence of the Lord? What if you're in a mental state or an intensive care or in such a situation so overwhelmed by the circumstances of life that you can't emotionally appreciate the teaching of this verse? Many of you know what I'm talking about. It's still on record. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, even when you can't appreciate the fact or don't feel the emotional power of the nearness of the Lord, whatever that may feel like emotionally. And I'm not playing that down. I'm just saying emotions change, don't they? Circumstances, you may feel as unspiritual as, as you could be tonight. And, and while I would encourage you to seek the Lord and, and draw near to Him and He'll draw near to you, You may not be there right now. It does not touch this verse, your emotional status tonight. Aren't you glad of that tonight? That that the way I feel or what's going on in my life has nothing to do with this glorious guarantee from the Lord. This is a sure rock to plant our feet upon. That the Lord is, He's with us and He will not forsake us and He'll be with us tomorrow. This is not presumption Presumption is I can live any way I want to and have the blessing of God. I can sin and get by with it. That's presumption. I'll have Samson grinding and doing what he wants to is sinning presumptuously. I'll do what I want to and God has always come through and I can presume that he will. That's presumption, sinning high-handedly and ignoring the warnings of God and still going on in my, my stubborn way. But this is not presumption for me to tell you that God is with us tonight and He'll be with us tomorrow and He'll be with us 10,000, 10 trillion years from tonight. The winds may blow and the storms may come. They will, won't they? You know they will. None of us know what this new year holds for any of us. No guarantees except I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I cannot tell you that you will not visit the hospital or the funeral home or the poorhouse or any manner of things that, that may, may be out there for you this year. But I can tell you all the backing of heaven is that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. We may sing, He hideth my soul in the cliff of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with his hand. Well, not only is it a clear guarantee, it is a comforting guarantee, isn't it? I mean, can you get more comforting than that promise tonight that no matter what, no matter how I feel, if I get Alzheimer's and don't can't think two sane thoughts, 
if I am overwhelmed by physical circumstances or the loss of the love or the favor of those around me, any horrible thing you could think of will not change the Lord's guarantee that He will not leave you nor forsake you. Oh, this, this is something very precious. It is something that cannot be manufactured or manipulated. It's a very comforting guarantee that no matter what lies out there in this span of time from now until the Lord calls me home, and even then, He'll be with me. Notice how personal it is. He and thee. He and you. He and you. It is made to you personally. Don't think, dear believer, frail believer, stumbling believer, unspiritual believer, that this is for someone else. Now let me just pause and say here, I said that your feelings and your circumstances do not change it. The way that it would change it is your appreciation of the guarantee. You see, while the Lord never leaves us or forsakes us, sometimes it feels like it does. Sometimes we would have to testify that it seems as if the Lord is a million miles away. It seems as God's children that sometimes that God has his back turned on us. And that our prayers are not being heard. I said it feels that way because of circumstances. My sin, while it does not drive God away, brings a veil between me and the the enjoyment of the Lord's presence and His fellowship. Why, if He did not do that, we would we would sin presumptuously, wouldn't we? We could think I could do anything I want to and have the assurance of the Lord's presence and the, the wonder of the Lord being at hand. Oh yes, He's there. He's always at hand. But it will not at times feel like it when I sin presumptuously. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, is the Lord here? Well, of course He does. But on my part, the Lord knows, and see, He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows my down-sitting and uprising and my thoughts from afar. But it will not seem as if the Lord hears me. He hears and knows everything. He knows my thoughts, certainly hears my prayers. But in the sense that He will not hear me, is that on my part, it will seem as if the Lord is not hearing me. Oh, there's so much at stake here, isn't there? the assurance of a believer, the enjoyment of our spiritual privileges are all based here, we see, in the teaching of the Word of God. What a comfort, though, that it's made to you. You don't have to be George Mueller or Charles Spurgeon or Paul to appreciate this verse or to enjoy it or to claim it. Whether you claim it or not, it is still the promise of God. That's just like our God, isn't it? Isn't it? These things that he does flows from his sovereignty and his power, not from us to him, but from him to us. It is made to you just as if you're the only one to whom it is made. It is tailor-made for you. Whatever circumstances you may find yourself in in the coming year, this promise is for you. With all your particular trials and circumstances and situations, it, it needs, whatever it is, it's, 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 it's made to measure. Notice what it does not say. When you consider a promise of God, and there are so many of them, and they're very precious, please don't make it say what it doesn't say. Oh, what a travesty it is to take a promise of God's Word and to twist it to say what we want it to say. 
We never do that. We never rest the scriptures. So when we concentrate on what a particular portion of scripture says, we almost we always always should consider what it does not say. It does not say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee if you never leave me or forsake me. Now that's like you and us. We do that. I will be your friend as long as you're my friend. You're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You you come to see me, I'll come to see you. It's a very uh, tit-for-tat scorekeeping. As humans, that's our tendency to be that way. That's not what it says, though, is it? The Lord does not say, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. If, Chris, you do not leave me nor forsake me. Like Peter, we have done that, haven't we? We have run from the Lord and his people and have found ourselves warming ourselves by the fire of the world's warmth. And we have, at times, may not exactly like Peter, but even a young maid asking us about our testimony and our actions, if not our words, have denied that we're one of the Lord's. Don't you know when Peter cursed and said, I don't know him, I don't have anything to do with him, don't you know he felt like the Lord was a million miles away? Do you think that Peter enjoyed this promise when he cursed to a little teenage girl said, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, someone may pride themselves tonight in saying, I've never said that, but I will remind you that your actions in our times of lack of faith, times when our testimony has not been what it ought to be, we might as well have said that. And the Lord felt very, very far away. But because you belong to him and because he has given himself to you and pledged his word to you, Nothing can ever happen to make him forsake you. Now, the gods of the Canaanites were very capricious. Not unlike the gods of the Romans and the Greeks. They were really just glorified human beings, weren't they? Like the superheroes who had mighty powers and could come on the scene and do certain things, but you dare not make them mad. You dare not uh, do things in such... They were always living in fear that Zeus and whoever... You know, Moloch we preached about today, you had to appease them. You had to know what they liked. You had to figure out how to steer clear or to gain their favor or to, to make a deal with some other god to make sure that he would do whatever or she would do whatever you needed to that. It was a very horrible, horrible way to live. Can you imagine living that way? Our God is very upfront, isn't he? I, the Lord, change not. He just tells us right up front what it's like. He gives us in his Ten Commandments, this is what I'm like, this is what I expect of you. But our God is not a capricious Zeus zapping with lightning bolts from heaven. No, he's not that way. Yes, does he, does he judge sin? Yes, he does. Does he discipline his children? Yes, he does. He's a perfect heavenly father. Does he deal with us as with sons? Oh, yes, he does. But because we belong to him, I reiterate, this promise is not contingent upon your failing or not failing your fickleness, your feelings, or your faithlessness. Nothing will make him break his word. Praise be the Lord. There's never a single moment or a circumstance or experience in the coming days or weeks or months or years when he will not be with us. We sing in perhaps my favorite hymn, 
The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul that, although all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The hymn writer knew Greek, and he got it right. He repeated it three times. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. We've examined the promise. It is from the Lord. It is unconditional. It can never be altered or used up. It is right now in effect. But I want you to notice secondly, I told you there'd be two parts to the message tonight. That's the promise, and we've just... We've just walked around it. We haven't. We have not plunged its depths. It will take a lifetime and eternity to plunge the depths of that promise. I guarantee you. But it looks pretty good to me from the outside, doesn't you? I mean, I think this is a promise I'll claim and lay my head on the pillow of it tonight when I go to sleep. But I want you to notice, secondly, the precept. There's always a teaching around the promise. A promise we declare. This is what God said He will do, and we can rejoice in it. But there's a teaching for us. A precept is a teaching on our behalf. What is this promise based on? I want you to look in verse 5 for the little word for. And let us go back and read it. Let your, your way of life, your conversation be without covetousness, wanting what you don't have. Most people live their lives exactly that way. They looked at the Sears Christmas wish book as I did as a little boy. Y'all remember the Christmas catalog that Sears used to send out our, our J.C. Penney's? There was nothing so glorious as the Sears Christmas toy edition or that section of the catalog that had the toys in it. And I can tell you I spent many, many an afternoon going over all the things in that, that section of the catalog. It was just magical. But the Bible says here, you know, that's your conversation to be without covetous. Most people do covet what they don't have. They spend a whole lifetime wishing to be someone else, somewhere else, doing anything but what they're doing now. They're enduring their present circumstance, their present job, their present uh, situation in life, waiting for something else, retirement, a new something, somewhere else, a new, another vacation for Friday to get here. They're, they're, they're wanting to be someone else, somewhere else, and they do live their life. That's why he has to warn us. It's a very human tendency to be covetous, to want what they have, like what they've got, something the Lord has not allowed us to have. And be content with such things as you have. What a teaching it is for us. Are you content with what you have? What the Lord has allowed in your life? Where he's allowed you to be? Where he's brought you to? Your place of service, your home, your marriage. Your, your, your physical, your age. All those things that those things that you cannot change. Are you content? Oh, the Christian jewel. There's a book, one of the Puritan writers, the, the Christian jewel of contentment. What a jewel that is. It sparkles so bright in the diadem of the Christian graces. Are you content? Well, if you can answer that question... You can answer a lot of situations that most people in life never get to, to answer because they are not content. But all of God's people should be content. Not that I speak in respect of want. I am content with, with the, the, whatever state I am there with. I've determined, I've learned whatever state I am there with. Have you? Oh, what a door of enjoyment and peace will flood upon you. Oh, what waves of grace will cuddle you and comfort you 
when you learn to be content with life. I'm not talking about the status quo or not growing in grace. You know I'm not talking about that. But those unalterable, unalterable things in your life that you know is your lot. That God has led you and placed you and that's where you are. And that's obviously what He's designed. And His withholdings that He's not allowed you to have up to this point. And you can be content that you can wait patiently upon the Lord or wait for Him not never to answer it at all if it be His will. Be content with such things as ye have. Well, you could park there and have a Bible conference. For, that's the word I was looking for, the word for. Because He hath said. We base everything on what He has said. Upon His Word. This is based on His Word. What He has said to us. We're not floundering here with somebody's opinion. We're living upon what God has said. That's how we base our lives. That's how we make our decisions. That's how we lead our families. What God has said. This is the precept. The little word for. Because He is with you and will never leave you. Certain things should be the result of that. Because if He's told you, don't be discontent with what you have and let your conversation live without covetousness. Don't, don't live, always live your life wanting something that you don't have. And, and, and be content with what you do have. That's the double side of that coin. Because... The Lord has said certain things. And because of that, we should be content. That your conversation, your manner of living be without covetous. If we have the Lord, let me ask you tonight, what else do you need? If you have the pearl of great price, is there anything else? How can we lack if the Lord is our shepherd? Didn't he say the Lord is my shepherd? Because the Lord is my shepherd, what? Help me out, church. I shall not want. I shall not be in want, in need. Why? The Lord is my shepherd. Here, covetous means, covetousness means discontented with our lot in life, with our circumstances, with our provision or lack of it. The remedy for all of this and 90% of the emotional problems that people have today could be rooted in, in, in this Exactly what we're talking about right here. This selfish discontent, the cure for it is a, a vivid realization that the Lord Himself is with us. Christ Himself is with us. The primary reference here is to money in the context. And it frees us from the love of money. The Bible warns us about that. Evidently, it's a very keen proclivity of human beings to love money. We know that's true. We don't have to look around us. We don't have to look in our own life, don't we? What we think, if I had this amount of money, all, most all of us have a, a number in our mind. If I just had this, I could do that. If I just had this, and we think that a certain amount of money would fix most of what we have need of. May I tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. The primary reference here is referring to money and it frees us from the love of money. And this includes the freedom from greed. The American dream is based on greed. It's praised and held up before people. What is it? But to have stuff in the craving of earthly possessions. Now, possessions are neutral. They're neither 
here nor there. It's our attachment to them for significance. Are you significant because of your address or your dress or what you have or people think you have or the, the, the airs that we put on? All of that is a part of living in this society and we have to deal with We have to decide on the standard of living that the Lord would have for us. We say yes to certain things and no to other things, but our Lord said a man's life, the abundance of a man's life does not, the, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the Lord's word. This is a wonderful freedom from the bondage of things, of the control of possessions. Secondly, this should give us not only comfort, but it should give us confidence. We need a wagon load of that, don't we? Because this society that we're living in is becoming increasingly intimidating. As being a child of God in a culture that is becoming increasingly opposed to the very things that I'm talking about tonight. And, and, and most of what we hold and preach and espouse here is laughable, laughed at by the, the status quo of people around us. But this should give us confidence because our hope is in the Lord, isn't it? Not in our status or our positions or the degrees behind our name. Verse 6 is because our Lord is with us and will never leave us, we may what? What does he say? We may boldly say. Boldness. Do you know the Lord desires his people to be bold? Not brash. Not heady. Not high-minded. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But our confidence is in the Lord and because of that we can do exploits for our God. We can go forward. We can witness. Because all power is His in heaven and earth, all power is given to me, go ye into all the world. The, the confidence that I have that the gospel is the answer is because the Lord gave it to me. And this, this gives us great confidence. The Lord, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He's my partner in all my business ventures. It's a great confidence. I never stand in this pulpit without knowing the Lord is standing here with me. It's also a very humbling and a very fearful thing to know that the Lord is standing here with me. I've allowed you to speak for me and you said that. I've allowed you to be my mouthpiece to my people and you did not tell them the whole counsel of my word. Psalm 118, verse 6 puts it, The Lord is on my side. This is just another confirmation of Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? What things? All these things. Persecution, famine, distress, nakedness. What do we say to all that? Or the potential for all those scary things that may loom out there. Most people, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, approach a new year is, Oh no, what are we going to do? What's going to come this year? We went through so much last year. What are we going to face this year? And, and, but it's a wonderful adventure. The Lord is with us. We should face it. I wonder what the Lord has for me in spiritual growth this year. Is this the year where I cross that, that place of just playing and piddling and becoming a true stalwart follower of Jesus Christ and I get victory in this area and I see the Lord answer his prayer in this area Oh, what excitement should loom before us this year. You become bored with 
things of God, oh, child of God, be very, very careful that you become used to the things I'm saying to you tonight. Bored with the glorious truths of God's Word. How could I will never leave thee nor forsake thee be bored? Take that verse out of the Bible. Take all those references out that I alluded to where he said, I'll leave thee nor forsake thee. What if Joshua did not have that promise as he went into Canaan and faced Jericho? That would have been scary. Peter, poor Peter who denied his Lord, who though repented and he could stand, see him boldly stand on the day of Pentecost. Scaredy cat Peter is looking the Sanhedrin and all those men in the face of you with wicked hands have taken the darling of heaven and have crucified the Son of God. Oh, what boldness. Knowing that his Lord has just been crucified, they very well may do the very same thing to him just by that one sermon. How many people would preach that way knowing that they could be crucified in the message? Boldness. Oh, we so desperately need God's boldness to be the church of, of God, to be the people of God, to be the salt and the light that He's told us we are. Do you lack He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all? How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Do you lack courage for the task at hand? Confidence? Here's the remedy. Realize and reckon the promise here in God's word that the moment by moment literal presence of Jesus Christ. This is the fear of the Lord because if the Lord is with you, he sees what you're looking at. He goes where you go. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. This continual presence of the Lord. We live in disturbing days. Wars and rumors of wars horrible tragedies that, that we see are unfolding before us. It's not as if someone might shoot up a mall or, or bomb a, a, a school or any number of things. That, this is real. It's unfolding for us almost monthly, isn't it? These things that they become closer and closer and the murder rate in this city leads, almost leads the nation. Just in this city. Well, I'm not trying to strike fear in anyone's heart. There's a lot to be fearful of if you just focused on the fear. Famines, fires, droughts, plagues, infectious diseases that no antibiotics can cure, that medicines can't touch, all kinds of things if you to dwell upon them that can strike fear in the heart. Political changes and uncertainties. Oh, if so-and-so gets elected, what will we do? As if God won't be on the throne when so-and-so is elected. God steps off his throne when that party gets in charge. Corrupt governments. The sewers from Hollywood cesspools are wide open, pumping into our homes. The waste, debauchery, and flooding our homes. Your commode over flooded your home was standing in five inches of sewage when you got home. You'd be sick. And just absolutely horrified. Yet some will turn on the TV and the sewage will just come right out of your face. Don't think anything about it. 
We need a holy confidence, not in the arm of flesh that will fail us, but in our great Savior. We can live moment by moment in His presence. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know I can live out my Christian life and should live out my Christian life with the knowledge that He is with me? Thirdly and lastly, this, this promise not only is it brings contentment and confidence, but it should also, this promise should make us calm. Boy, we need a wagon load of calmness, don't we? Read verse 6. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Perfect love casteth out fear. The greatest cause of fear is loneliness. Aloneness. But the way of deliverance from this fear is to be reminded that we are not alone. Notice the importance of the words, He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do to me. Shall do, not could do, but shall do. When peace like a river attendeth my way, sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is a peace the world didn't give to us and cannot take away from us. It's a peace that passes understanding. And so I leave you, church, on the brink of this, the bank of this new year. Let your way of life be without covetousness. Can we agree on that? And... Be content with such things as you have. Isn't that a good rule of thumb for us all? For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do it. And the Lord bless his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these portions of scripture that feed us and bolster us and encourage us and corrects us Lord we we need correcting we need pruning and your word does that too cut off the dead branches that are not bearing fruit on our tree Lord so that we can bring forth abiding and continual fruit to the honor and glory of our Savior comfort every heart correct every heart Save those who are outside of Christ, we pray. May your word accomplish today all that you appointed it to. May we dwell and meditate on these words, we pray. In Jesus' precious name.